The people of Nineveh believed God's message, declared a fast, and put on burlap to show their sorrow. That's our theme verse from Jonah chapter 3, verse 5 for this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Senior Pastor Perry Duggar continues our series, Running from God, with this week's episode titled, Revival. If you want to watch the video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search through the message archives, visit brookwoodchurch.org slash watch, or download the Brookwood Church app. We pray this message encourages you and your walk with Christ. It's good to see those who brave the deep, deep snow and the, the blizzardous conditions too. We continue our series on Jonah, which is entitled, oh, don't look up there. What's it entitled? Are y'all reading it or do you know it? You know it, good. You know, what's important in this story, it's important that we believe God works this way and he has this power, but, but I might argue that it's more important for each of us to see ourselves in this story? Have you been able to discover yourself in the story? That's my question. Let me see some hands if you've seen yourselves. Yes, because it's written for us, it's written down so that we can see ourselves and the Spirit can apply it to our lives. The title for today's message is Revival. And we will be in Jonah chapter 3, the theme verse, what I call the theme verse, I try to pull out one that sort of touches uh, what we'll deal with each, each week. Because I, when I read it, I ask the passage in the Spirit to tell me what it's about. But the theme verse is that the people of Nineveh believed God's message. They declared a fast. They put on burlap to show their sorrow. Now the background just in case you haven't been here, you haven't seen it online, is that at the end of chapter two, just ahead there says, then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Now imagine if you were taking a stroll on the seaside, huge fish swims up, vomits Jonah onto the beach. That, do you think that story would have spread rapidly? Of course, in our culture, they would say it's some kind of conspiracy, wouldn't they? But it would have caused people to become very interested in this man and his message, don't you think? Now, Jesus calls Jonah a sign, but he refers to Jonah as a sign to the Ninevites. Now, certainly it refers to him being either alive or dead, you decide that, inside the fish and being vomited out alive. But perhaps it refers to more than that. Could it be that the sign also referred to this man with splotchy bleached skin from the fish's gastric acids. You know, sometimes when God lays his hands on us to teach us something, 
we are left with some lingering results, aren't we? Certainly spiritually, certainly emotionally, sometimes even physically. Jacob, I don't think Jacob's hip ever worked in the same way after wrestling with the angel. But did Jonah look so peculiar that people couldn't doubt what had happened to him? An interaction with God leaves observable evidence in our lives. You believe that? Others can see it. I think it's good timing that we see this revival. I think the greatest need of our nation today is revival. Do you agree with that? It's revival. We're so divided and arguing on all kinds of issues. Skeptical and suspicious of each other. And so we need to come together to be unified to a truth that's bigger than any of those things that we hold to, that we disagree about. And that truth is going to be God saves. And we've been born again by grace. We need widespread renewal. Now, perhaps we can learn from today's message how spiritual revival occurs so that we can cooperate with God to receive spiritual awakening. Revival includes several things that I extract from this passage. First is revival includes a responsive messenger. Jonah chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. And so Jonah has a message. There he goes. He doesn't look very pleased though, does he? He even has a fish bone that came out with him, I think. <laughs> Throughout Jonah's rebellion, would you say God was displeased with him? What do you say? Come on, y'all got to speak up. There's not that many of you here. Yeah, but did, does that mean he deserted him? Now, interesting, it's interesting with us. When we become displeased with someone, what's our initial reaction? Cut them off. Close them down. Shut them down. Push them away. That's not the way God works. Because God's not threatened by people. God sent the storm, followed by the fish, to rescue Jonah out of his rebellion. To return him to relationship with his Lord. Now we saw in chapter 2, Jonah stopped running. It appears he repented, at least he appeared to, because he acknowledged that God was disciplining him. Jonah 2, 3 and 4. He cried out to God at the temple. Verses four and seven. He praised God. He vowed that he would keep his word, that 
And then he declared that, that only the Lord could save him at verse 17, seven. But, but did his return last? It's interesting that again, unlike us, God spoke to Jonah a second time. Some of us have said, okay, I've, I've dealt with you enough. There'll be no more chances. Don't raise your hands, but is that true? There'll be no more chances for you. But does God return to his people when they refuse his calling, when they reject his word, when they deliberately disobey? Does he? Let me ask a question, and you only raise your hand if you feel courageous enough. Have any of you spent some time, I'm not even talking about currently, but some time in your life running away from God? My hand's up. Running away from God. And yet, God said he would never leave us. Never forsake us. Never fail us. Never abandon us. Hebrews 13, 5, those various words are used in different translations. You see, God is faithful to us even when we are unfaithful to him. Because God can't deny himself. Now, The faithful grace of God should never be an encouragement or an excuse for sin. I've seen that, you know, I was, uh, I was reading something. One of these celebrity types was sort of laughingly talking about premarital behavior. And this woman was saying she was a Christian, but she knows God forgives. And I'm thinking... Boy, there's something missing in that relationship, isn't there? If we, if we see God's grace as an excuse and even an encouragement for sin, I don't know if we've ever experienced God's grace. What would you say? It's like saying, I know my spouse will forgive me if I'm unfaithful. And her, her forgiving nature, his forgiving nature encourages me to be adulterous. Now, wouldn't you say that's foolishness or worse? But aren't we saying the same thing about God? Rather, God's grace should be an encouragement to faithfulness, to obedience, because we see the goodness of this God who loves us. God's faithfulness to Jonah expressed through his rescue caused his prophet to return to being a responsive messenger, an obedient servant. He was given another chance, much like Peter, who denied Jesus three times and Jesus still said, follow me in John 21. Jonah 3, verse 3. 
This time, Jonah obeyed the law's commands, the Lord's command. And he went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. Some translations say to walk around it. I think probably more accurate is is the idea of three days to view it all. But it included suburbs and surroundings. But here's a question, and it's a fair question. Did Jonah have a changed heart toward God? Or did he concede only because he recognized he couldn't escape? Which one? You think concede or you think, Bradley, what do you think? He's my theologian. He could, you think he conceded because he couldn't escape anymore. Now, let me tell you, this city founded by, it was founded by Noah's great-grandson, Nimrod, included s- several suburbs, Rehoboth Ear, Calais, and Reeson. Among them, you can look in Genesis 10 and find that. It had a circumference of 60 miles. It had a population of at least 120,000, according to Jonah 4.11. But that reference, which we'll look at next week, may have only referenced children. So that the total population could have been over 600,000. It was a wealthy, powerful, violent, wicked, idolatrous city. Nineveh was part of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians, along with the Ninevites, were merciless and cruel. They were toward their enemies, and that included women and children. Jonah, this Hebrew prophet who worshiped a different God, would have been seen as an enemy. And he was sent to these frightening people with a threatening message from God. Does that sound like an easy assignment? Verse 4, on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Boy, I mean, not a very winsome statement, is it? We sometimes think that you have to sort of tickle people to get them to give Christ a chance. But this is a message from God. This wasn't just Jonah being angry. And because it was essentially the same message, essentially identical to the first message Jonah was given. In Jonah 1-2, it says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it. Because I have seen how wicked its people are. Hard message. We know, we've learned this by experience, that when we refuse God's direction, when we reject his message, we run away, he will discipline us. 
Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that. But he will also graciously rescue us. He'll offer to forgive as he did Jonah. But then he'll give us the same assignment again. Because there's a lesson he intends for us to learn. Anybody in here experiencing God taking you back to the same truth over and over? You know, you would think, well, God, don't you have some better prophets? Some that are more courageous, some that are more pliable, some that are more cooperative. Couldn't you just get a better prophet? I mean, isn't that what most of us would do? We're pretty quick to disqualify each other, aren't we? But Jonah, he had chosen. Jonah, he loved. Not because Jonah had all these wonderful skills and he was so obedient and so compliant and so cooperative. We don't know exactly why God chose Jonah, but I don't know why he chose me. What about you, Linda? Do you know why he chose you? Why? You didn't love him before he loved you. You've learned to love him, but he saw in you what you could become. It's, it's from God. God chooses who he uses because of him, not even because of us. We're so egocentric, aren't we? And God would not give up on him. And he doesn't give up on us either. We know from Romans 11, God's gifts and calling are irrevocable. We know from Philippians 1, 6, that he will finish the work he started. Now, sometimes we get delayed, don't we? God started a work. We, got, we became disobedient. We started running. It stalled out where we were headed. But he's coming again. He's coming again. Now, Only God's spirit can save people by convicting them of sin, by confirming God's truth from within, by converting them to faith. That's regeneration. That's being born again. But God uses us to communicate his truth. He uses us to make disciples of each other. Matthew 28. Romans 10. But, but it, it seems unusual, doesn't it? Why would he use us? He really could do it all himself better, couldn't he? What do you think? But acting as God's messengers strengthens our relationship with him as we obey, as we trust And it encourages our faith as we see God using our efforts to change people's lives. And he does that. 
there may be someone, even as I'm speaking, that's coming to mind to you right now. That God has called you to reach someone with your faith story. With your life. Have you taken steps? Have you at least begun to pray for the opportunity? Ask God to show you. He wants to use you. You know, he doesn't need me, and he really doesn't need you either. He chooses to use us in his work. Revival also includes a repentant response. I mean, if you look at it, this is pretty startling. One Jewish prophet confronting thousands of violent people, like I said, at least 120,000, perhaps 600,000. One prophet with no PA system, no television, no way to broadcast anything. One prophet with a message of judgment. How attractive does this situation sound? I mean, these Assyrian Ninevites had, were known to dominate people cruelly. And if you, you know this, anybody who is continually exposed or, or even worse, participates in cruelty, in anger, becomes desensitized. Hasn't it surprised you in our culture how someone could be so vile against another person because of race, because of political party, because of whatever reason? And somehow they've justified the most evil behavior imaginable. Well, see what happens when you get used to seeing people as other. And you can and allow yourself to treat them harshly, cruelly, coldly. You quit feeling. You quit feeling. So these were not sensitive people. They weren't sensitive about their own sin. Because the problem is when you, when you shut down sensitivity towards others, you know what happens? You lose sensitivity towards yourself. We've seen this. Someone treats us very harshly. And you think, well, doesn't he even care? Doesn't she even care? What's the answer to the question? Likely not. Because when you practice that approach, you lose sensitivity. Are y'all tracking with me here? So we keep wanting somebody to change and treat us differently but you know what their their sensitivity has been seared it's got to be God's spirit that sensitizes you won't do it with an argument Jonah really couldn't do it shouting a threat could he how well have your threats against these people worked out So so these these people weren't compassionate toward 
the pain and suffering of others. They weren't, they weren't compassionate toward Jonah. I mean, what, what is the most likely response that they would have had toward Jonah? What do you think? You got to say it louder. Might have killed him. Certainly would have ridiculed him, laughed at him, driven him out of town, maybe worse. But what happened? What happened? Verse 5. I need some different eyes, I think. <laughs> Your glasses, you're going to throw, yeah, throw them up here. If I get enough pairs, one will work. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, all classes, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. Now, God gave them 40 days to work it out, right? This doesn't appear that they delayed, does it to you? Now, I'm reading that into it. But, but the impression I get is that, is that they responded to Jonah's shouted warnings as soon as they heard it. Okay, here's, my, here's another question. Okay, I'm a little skeptical. Who out there? Flora, are you a little skeptical sometimes too? Was this true faith conversion or were these people just afraid of judgment? I'll take that answer. I think true faith. I think true faith. But it's worth asking the question, isn't it? I think this was a demonstration of true faith because one, they had to believe in the Hebrew God in his reality and his power or they would have just laughed, right? Because if they didn't believe in him, they would have certainly doubted that he was capable of destroying the city. You got this little skinny prophet, skin's all bleached out, hair's probably worse than mine. I don't know what being inside a fish does to your hair, but it can't be a good thing. They proved the sincerity of their belief by repenting. By displaying their sorrow. But let me pause there for a moment. There is a sorrow from exposure. There's a sorrow from getting caught. And 2 Corinthians 7.10 says that sorrow, the worldly sorrow, only leads to death. So being sorrowful because you've been arrested, something got exposed might mean repentance. It might not mean repentance. It might mean, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry I got arrested. I'm sorry I got exposed. So 2 Corinthians 7.10 says there's a sorrow that leads to repentance and faith, and there's a sorrow that leads to death. They might look the same, 
they're not the same. How do you know which is happening? What comes next? What comes next? Yeah. And so these people regretted outwardly. They fasted. They wore sackcloth, which was just a real coarse cloth um, made often from goat's hair. Uh, And it was worn by prisoners, by the poor, by slaves. It was also worn in mourning, which is interesting, isn't it? That when you're in mourning, you're wearing on the outside what you feel on the inside, aren't you? Jesus affirmed the Ninevites' faith because in Matthew 12, and particularly at verse 41, he was using Jonah's message to shame unbelieving Jews. And he said that the Ninevites would would denounce the Jews because they repented at Jonah's preaching. But you Jews aren't preaching and one greater than Jonah's preaching to you, speaking of himself. Matthew 12, verses 38 to 41, but particularly 41. The king responded in the same way, verse five. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal clothes He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. That's another part of mourning. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. Essentially, he extended repentance and remorse and fasting to every living creature. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all of their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger. From destroying us. So we, we see these characteristics, and, and what, look what he's calling for stop eating, wear clothes of mourning. He's really just saying the stop eating, and I think fasting, it applies generally. In fasting, we're disengaging from our ordinary practice to take the time to focus on God. That's why I've said, you know, in this culture, if you planned a meal, you started with a chicken or a sheep alive. It was a long process. So if they fasted, they saved considerable. You know, you had to gather the wheat, make the bread, all that. Um, in our culture, it's not like that. But that's why I think it's okay to fast from a meal, from the news, from the radio, from uh hobbies from whatever and take that time and focus it focus your attention on God and turn from your sins is what this said but he added perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us see Jonah's message 
did not include a promise that God would not destroy the city if they changed. They didn't have a promise. And still they fasted, they prayed, they repented. Wonder why. They turned away from their their sinful, violent behaviors. Even though they didn't have a promise. You know, a lot of times we bargain with God, don't we? There wasn't any bargaining here. They turned away. But let me suggest something to you. When we truly see God, we also see our sins. Because the Spirit of God that enables us to see God, to experience God, exposes those attitudes, those actions, those, those behaviors, past and present, that are offensive to God, are inconsistent with God's nature. So see, we repent out of what we know, even without making a deal with God. Does that make sense? We move to a place of understanding by the Spirit of God. Have you received the Spirit of God? Have you responded by recognizing those things that are inconsistent with God's nature and repented? The Ninevites repented of their sins and they hoped God would not destroy them. I didn't say they trusted God would not destroy them. And the reason is because he didn't promise he wouldn't. See, we have faith in what God says, but we can hope a lot of things. Nothing wrong with hoping God does some things, but we have faith in what God's told us. He didn't tell them this. Revival includes a relenting God. Verse 10. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind. Does that trouble anyone? I use the word relenting. Some translations say repenting. Anybody have that in their Bible? Repenting. And does that bother you? See, I don't think it bothers us. But historically, this has been one of the verses that theologians would all debate. God can't repent. But repent doesn't mean God sinned. It means God turned. God changed and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. So the the question that these theologians debate was, if God knows all in advance, how can he change his mind? But here's here's a term for you. And a a principle. The Bible uses human characteristics to reveal the nature of God. Even though God doesn't have our exact characteristics. 
And what that's called is anthropomorphism. Y'all love having that one, don't you? Anthropomorphism. It's using description, using human attributes as a reference to God, that God changed his mind when if God knows the future, he in one sense can't change his mind, you see. But he responded, at least by appearance, see, to the change of the Ninevites' heart because he's in relationship with them, you see. And we refer to this as revival by sparing their city. We do this with our children. You've already bought the bicycle. You've hidden it in the closet. But the kid really gets bad. Now, you never had any sons of yours get bad, did, did you? And so, so sometimes you say, whether you do it with Santa or not with Santa, you say, if you want to get that bicycle, you need to straighten yourself up. But you already bought it. So we say things to our children to influence their behavior. Well, God does to us too. God does to us too. This city, Nineveh, repented, I believe. And boy, don't we need revival in our city in our state, in our country. Can it happen? It's been a long time since the last great awakening, hasn't it? There was an awakening in the 1700s. There was an awakening around the mid-1800s. So we're a long way from an awakening, from a revival. And I believe God has pointed out his steps and I want to close with this very familiar passage to receive re revival to experience restoration and this passage is 2nd Chronicles 7 14 you all know this but let me just walk us through this if we want to beckon God to renew us we do this. If my people who are called by my name. See, even the, unlike Nineveh, those, the Ninevites were unbelievers. But God's call for revival is to believers. It's calling to us who are called by his name. Will humble themselves and pray. So they have to, you see this verse first is addressed to to those unbelievers. And then it's, we're told that we must become humble, become malleable, cease our pride. We need to recognize our sins. And then we pray honestly, sincerely, passionately, and seek my face, which means we, we, we spend time in the presence of God and turn from their wicked ways. 
You know, we ask God to expose whatever sin is within us that we turn away from. And if we do those things, if, if those of us who are believers, if we'll be humble, if we'll pray, if we'll seek God, if we'll turn from our wickedness, God promises he will hear from heaven, he'll forgive our sins, he'll restore not only our lives, he'll restore our land, our country. Do, do you want that to happen? How many of you will pray this prayer beginning this week, not just this week, beginning this week. Let me see your hands. Let me see you stand. We, we as believers, we're responsible not only for our own lives, we're responsible for this town. We're responsible for this state. We're re we are responsible for this country. We blame these politicians, this party, that party. No, God told us, you want revival? Let's see what you do. Are we the ones who are repenting so that God might refresh us? Our counselors will be here at the front. They'll be here as long as you need them. They'll also be in the Care Connection room. And those of you who are in online church, you can push prayer request button and you can let us know what you're struggling with, what you're concerned about, so that we might prayer with you, pray with you. So let me urge you, why don't we, Brookwood Church, decide we're going to do everything we can to bring revival, not just on our homes, on our land and throughout we have that ability if we'll obey Father we thank you for this word this word of guidance this word of direction help us Lord to faithfully do our parts to bring about renewal beginning with ourselves Lord but not ending there and spilling out throughout our country and our world in Christ's name we pray Amen Thank you for coming. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Our memory verse is Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Here's this week's spiritual practice. Just like any relationship, developing intimacy with God is cultivated over time. While there's no magic formula, here's a simple process to help you draw closer to God. First, Find a quiet place and spend a few minutes in silence to clear your mind. When you sense stillness, tell God you want to hear Him. Then slowly read and meditate on a passage of Scripture. What words or phrases stand out to you? You can use the memory verse, daily readings, or any passage. Ask God what He wants to say to you and allow time for Him to put thoughts into your mind. And finally, God desires to talk with you all day long. So as you leave this quiet time with God, Ask Him to speak to you throughout the day. Here's a recommended resource, the book, The Practice of God's Presence by Brother Lawrence. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Please email us, connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone 
on our Connections team. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful week.